Well, hello, and welcome back to a special edition of uh, Skeptics and Seekers and Ask an Atheist Anything for one of our roundtables. I'm one of your hosts, the Christian, Dale, and we also have... Hi, this is Matthew from England. Yeah, hi, this is uh, David. And this is Andrew. Welcome back. Excellent. Yeah, it's been it's been a while since, uh, I think it's been about uh, three months since our Christmas episode where we got together. So yeah, we're, we're getting together again for a special Easter edition of our round table here. So we're going to be asking questions related to Easter and its significance and that sort of thing. So yeah, what we got planned is another straightforward episode. We've got about six questions and we'll we'll go around ending with me, the Christian answer. And, and if there's any follow-up, we'll do like one round or something for time's sake. But uh, yeah, that's the plan. So why don't we get started? Number one. So this is just a general question for, for us. Um, what what does Easter mean to each of us personally? You know, ho- hopefully you guys won't be as uh, depressing as our Christmas. <laughs> uh, Got my razor blade right here. That was a real low water mark. I'm, I'm telling you. I, 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 I seem to remember that Andrew that. promised there'd be crucifixion blueprints available for this episode. Oh, goodness. Oh, oh right. abs- absolutely. We've, uh, <laughs> Can we get a demonstration, like a live demonstration? Are, are hey, the nails... Dale, do you volunteer? <laughs> are we supposed to have fresh, clean nails, or are they meant to be rusty ones that have been in the garden for six months? Because I feel some preparation was needed for that. Mm. <laughs> so on that note... with the round tables. All right. Um, so serious. David, Come on. David, I'm going to start with you to wake you up a bit here. What does Easter mean to you personally? Yes, David. What does Easter mean to you personally? Great. Chocolate. <laughs> so, I think possibly even more than Christmas, Easter represents one of the biggest loads of publicly accepted uh, BS on the planet. It's just a time for people to go completely stupid and to put their brains to bed for a day and pretend to believe things that are stupid. And that's, I hate it that's when you're so strict. restrained and held back. It's, it's terrible. I'm sorry. So <laughs> it's, repressed. It's, <laughs> it, 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 it just, it makes, it makes me mad because once again, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's like grownups playing dress up it, and, and it's socially accepted at least for that day. So we can, we can just all pretend for a little while. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Andrew, what what do you think of Easter personally? Does it mean anything to you or? Maybe a little. I won't be quite so Christmas episode as uh, my friend David there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I I think if it means anything for me from a secular perspective, because it doesn't mean anything to me particularly as as a religious, but it is a time that we set aside to get together with friends and family and try to share a, a peaceful, quiet time to, in, to enjoy the people we love. And as a, as a skeptic, I can't, I, I don't go to church on Easter. I don't hear anything about the religious trappings. But I do appreciate the opportunity to get together with friends and family. And raise a glass of cheer, probably not in the best Easter tradition there, but, but to, uh, to get together and uh, 
you know, enjoy the people that I, uh, uh, that I care about. Awesome. How about you, Matt? Yeah, mine's much the same. I genuinely look, look forward to Easter. You guys know that my, my immediate family, uh, my, my wife and, and daughter are religious. So, uh, there is a religious element to my Easter, where, whether I participate or, or like it, you know, it, it, it's, there, it's a fact of life. So, uh, so I deal with it. I tend not to go to church, but there is there are friends and family around. Uh, it is a long weekend. It's obviously a holiday weekend. So I genuinely uh, look after it. Here in the UK, it also falls on, it falls close, relatively close to Mothering Sunday. So we always do something with that. My wife's parents live near us. So they're always round on a weekend that's close to uh, East weekend to celebrate Mothering Sunday. You guys know that I act in my free time. One of the plays that we do, we do two plays a year. One of them is always the last week in April. So again, that's going to be always close to Easter weekend. Uh, this year, Easter weekend immediately precedes the week that the play is on. It's not always that close. So Easter comes as part of a, a package of a, of a busy time of year for me. Also, in the UK, we tend to have various Christian festivals that all happen around Easter, and my wife and daughter go away for several days to to one of those every Easter. So again, this this year, it actually happens to be next week, they go away to that. So I have several days where I'm at home on my own, so I can do my own thing. I can watch tv till ridiculously late at night and not be told off about it um so no the, my my life gets quite busy around about easter due to various things going on and i look forward to it it's, it's an enjoyable time obviously the the religious significance it doesn't mean anything to me but that doesn't stop me appreciating the period of time All right but it sounds like everyone is saying hey it's friends and family day granted i don't have any friends and family nearby um, oh i'll so be your maybe- friend <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, I mean, I don't. <laughs> no, I'm not, very, I'm not a very friendly guy. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm English, David. I love everybody. Come on. I just, but I mean, it seems it seems like great. I get that you have a reason to like Easter. It's Friends and Family Day, and you know, if we just said, okay, it's National Friends and Family Day, that would be great. But mm-hmm. we've got this whole religious framework around it. I mean. D- Dale and I had um, we were David, trying to can sketch. I, can I can I just ask? Don't go too much into this because that's going to be Matt's question. Matt's question directly sort of tackles this next. So yeah, just just give your quick quick note, but save what you're about to say for question two because it's going to be really relevant to that. Oh, okay. Well, but, sorry, I didn't mean to. Wow, Dale, 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 actually. <laughs> You're a great moderator, Dale. Have, um, have you been in secret talks with uh, Justin Briley on how to keep us uh, heathens in uh, in check? Is that proper? Or... No, no. I... Okay, go go ahead. Just say no, I was I was just I was just thinking we got this whole religious complex around it. I mean, you you and I had trouble scheduling a guest. I won't mention the guest's name, and we were gonna get a show done. It was this weekend, I think, and he was saying, "Oh well, yeah, I can't do that day because it's Holy Saturday." Oh. And I'm thinking, what the what? what the heck is Holy Saturday? This is just this is just more of the BS where it loses all touch with reality. And so you know, you got your Ash Wednesday and your Lent and all the you know this whole tradition of nonsense 
that honestly doesn't mean anything the week before Easter. It doesn't mean anything the following week of Easter. And so even as a religious holiday, it doesn't have a lot of mileage. And so I, I guess I wouldn't have any problem with it if we just said National Friends and Family Day and left it at that. But it just gets ridiculous when you start painting around all of the religious nonsense to it. Yeah, no, Holy Saturday couldn't couldn't do a show. That's all because I don't ever remember spe- uh, paying that particular special attention to uh, any of these special religious days. I do know that in Christian, certainly in the, the UK Anglican Church, there's a lot of Sundays, especially, which especially you've got third Sunday or after Pentecost or, re- or things like that. And you've got all these candidates. I just don't recall paying any special attention to those other than seeing them written down that this was a special Sunday or whatever day it was. Apart from Christmas and Easter, obviously. Fair enough. Perfect. Yeah, that's and in terms of me, so obviously, yes, I'm a Christian. Um, yeah, Easter has deep religious significance. It's it's the time when Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead for our sins. Uh, it's quite our. I won't go into the significance because that's going to be an upcoming question. But it, yeah, it, it's a very significant Christian doctrine. But I also enjoyed doing some you know, friends and family and, you know, doing the whole Easter egg hunt for the kids and stuff like that. And yeah, go, going to church and, and, you know, having fellow a fellowship meal with everyone and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it's a time that I look forward to. Um, as, as it happens, my birthday is on Good Friday this year. So I'm a little bit afraid that Andrew's going to try to actually crucify me on on Good Friday there. But, uh, so we share um, occasionally. My birthday is also on Good Friday because I'm an April baby too, uh, <laughs> April thirteenth. So uh, I promise that I will not crucify you on your birthday. Phew, okay, all right, that's a relief. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was sweating a little bit there. So. <laughs> So, so yeah. April 14th, for what it's worth. April. Okay. Yeah, we've got a 13, a 14, and um, Dale, am I right? The 19th, is that right? That's correct, yes. So can can I ask a, a question here on all these significant dates? Does Is the universe in danger when Good Friday is the 13th? Is the universe in danger? No. Yes. That Oh, sorry. I, <laughs> oh, you can give your answer, yes. Oh, Mine is no. <laughs> right. it, I, I guess it's one of those ones where it depends if there's a rabbit's foot in your back pocket or something. <laughs> oh, brother. Okay. Well, I'd like to ask pocket. you a serious question about, Christi- uh, about Christianity and, and Easter. Uh, I, you, don't, you don't have to go deep into this if we don't have the time, but one of the things when I was a Christian years and, and years ago, uh, seems like half a lifetime ago now. Mm-hmm. One of the things that bothered me was the, the sort of confluence between the Easter Bunny and and the obvious secular nature of the Easter Bunny. Right? I mean, I don't think any of us would argue with, with that. Uh, but but there is that sort of hint of magic and mischief, and you know, it's sort of the the tooth fairy kind of thing. And that confluence with the Christian celebration of the ascension of Jesus. And I wonder how, as a Christian today, you think about those things. Okay. Uh, It's too much at all. I don't, I don't know that, you know. Yep. So you'll find out in question number three. So I'll I'll delay my answer to that. Okay. Um, But but first, uh, I think it's important that we give our Brit twit. (laughs) 
Oh, not only did he accept the challenge, he rose to it and hit it with a gold medal. Well done, Dale. <laughs> I'll get my fifty bucks in, uh, in a couple of days. <laughs> uh, it'll uh, it'll go it'll go a long way toward buying the uh, buying the flowers for the grave after you're crucified. <laughs> there we go. we need map. a special whoever edits this. We need a special time in the background when Dale says that, or or maybe maybe may, maybe a little God saver, whatever, or something. <laughs> I can get that done. I can uh, get it done. So Matt, yeah, I'll turn it over to you. You you can ask your your question there with your your usual. British charm. I have a feeling, my dear, you're going to enjoy this quite a lot. Uh, awesome, except I've just gone off the email where I had the question up, so um, you'll have to... Okay. Oh, no, I'm there, no, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there, I've got it. Okay. Right, so, yeah, so, so my question, in the society that is getting more secular, is there a case to be made for religious holidays to be abandoned completely? And to be replaced with generic holidays that do not favor any spe any specific religion. Okay, perfect. So yeah, well, why don't you why don't you start to answer answer yourself? What do you think? No, is is my answer. I, I well, I guess there is a case that could be made, but I'm not particularly interested in making the case. If I'm completely honest, I'm not really sure what benefit is on that. When the Christian holidays that we know specifically. Christmas and Easter, but you know, there are there are others that, as we've referenced, are, are scattered around as well. When they came in, they generally took over existing holidays that were for for other things, and they and Christianity Christianized those religions. They adopted what they needed for their benefits and converted all of these holidays in, into their specific religious holidays. I'm not particularly interested in doing the same. Again, history's done. The, when Christianity rolled in, it took over everything and made it its own. You know, with Christianity fading away, I don't particularly have any interest in in whatever comes next in, in rolling over and doing that. Maybe that will happen in a hundred years. Uh, I'll, I'll be gone, so I, I I don't particularly care. And I'm I'm not. I don't think that history looks back favorably on cultures that have done that. You know, when I look back on Christianity. Uh, coming in and replacing these other ho other holidays with its own version of things and rebranding it to its own. I don't see that as a favourable thing towards Christianity. So if I was to raise an atheist flag and say, right, I'm now claiming the Easter weekend to be some other holiday for, for atheism and secularism and other religions be gone, I don't think that history will look favourably back on that. So I don't particularly have uh, any extra grind on that. It will happen naturally, and I'd rather it just happen naturally. As as each generation comes by, they introduce their own different customs and cultures into these holidays. I'm quite happy for it to stay as it is and it to evolve naturally. I, I don't want a, a coup to replace it. Interesting. Okay. Um, and how about you, David? Well, for me, it's a matter of separation of church and state. So I think possibly we might have cultural uh, differences here that mark the differences in our answer. I do not think that it is ever a good idea to mix church and state. And so when it comes to federal holidays, I don't believe that we should have religious holidays 
as a part of the federal holiday calendar. And if we want to continue celebrating those holidays as a nation, we really do need to make them secular and call it National Friends and Family Holiday or National Whatever You Believe Recognition Day. But when we make it a particular Christian day, that is, in fact, setting the Christian story above and beyond other religions whose holy days we don't celebrate and we don't have you know, a national day off for. So I, I think that there's something particularly discriminatory about religious holidays that are celebrated on the federal level. I feel a little bit about them like I feel about smoke breaks. So back, I don't know if they still have them in companies today, but uh, back when I used to work as an advertising consultant at Verizon, people would go on smoke breaks. Uh, this was true when I worked at uh, the newspaper as well. And I complained about that a lot because I didn't smoke. And so I started going on no smoke breaks. <laughs> say, well, where's David? He's on a no smoke break. Because you know what? If you're going to let this whole class of people take off work for five minutes whenever they feel like it, that ought to be available for everybody or nobody. And I feel the same way about religious holidays. If you're going to celebrate the Christian holy day as a state, then you need to celebrate everybody's holiday, holy day or nobody's holy day. You need to find a way to make that secular or else you are um, benefiting one religion or another. In this country, that's rather frowned upon. Interesting. And, and Andrew, what, what do you make of this? I think I probably would draw the line somewhere between uh, Matthew and David. So David's got a good point about uh, secular holidays versus uh, religious holidays and the observance from a federal perspective. But in the United States, we have this this concept of uh, called PTO, personal time off, right? And, and many companies use this to describe not only someone's sick days, but their vacation days as well. And so the the number of days you get to be uh, away from work uh, each year is not governed by the few sick days that you take and your vacation. It's just a, a lump of PTO days and you use them however you need to. And I don't mind adding three or four days a year to the PTO schedule and letting people celebrate them with whatever religious observance they prefer or whatever secular observance they prefer. And, and in that way, we as a society get to recognize that uh, there are multiple religions with very different holidays. And if someone needs a day off for that, we build it into how we do business. And then as a society, we don't have to uh, bend a knee to one religion or the other. And it takes care of, I think, uh, what Matthew was saying, which was allow cultures to develop as they will and to bring their own views and traditions you know, to, to whatever scheduling is required for those observances. Yeah, it's interesting. It's fair points. I, I'm sort of like Andrew. I'm sort of in the middle. So I, I am a strong believer, even though I'm a Canadian, I, I do believe in the separation of church and state. Um, I think that's a good fundamental principle. I do not take it in the extremes. I, I think it's ridiculous. Like our government banning government employees from wearing a a cross is ridiculous or, you know, whatever other religious symbols. I, I think that's taking the separation of church and state way too far. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily see it wrong on terms of having 
religious holidays um, or that sort of thing where people can get together. I, I think Andrew brings up an interesting fair idea like okay let's just call it a, a PTO day if you want to take that day off on Easter and have a bunch of your your other family and friends and that sort of thing take a PTO day to celebrate Easter that sounds like a fair compromise to my mind um, and you know and it gives people the option if, if a Muslim doesn't want to take off the Easter Friday the Good Friday great they can go to work or something it would get difficult though in terms of organizing well what if Every, you're the only person there that wants to work on that day. So, I, yeah, there would need to be some stuff worked out there. But um, that's, that's yeah. why I called it earlier a, fam, a family and friends day, because at that point, it's not a religious day or it's, you know, it's whatever you want it to be. But so the whole country can take it off, you know, Mother's Day, <laughs> Father's Day, family and friends day. Yeah, but I, I think with Matthew, where I agree with Matthew, like there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe in 100 years from now or 50 years from now, we we might do that that's that's fine but I, I don't think we're at the point yet where we need to force the issue there's no reason to not call it easter or crisp or christmas break or something like that yeah i, I let it happen let it change organically if there's a need for to change up the traditions at that time but i, I just yeah I, I don't see that we're there yet like i don't see this pressing need to call it happy holidays as opposed to saying merry christmas or something like that but yeah, um, yeah, that's my take. So yeah, let's move move on to question three. So this is Andrew. Here you go. You'll be happy. Can Christians celebrate the Easter Bunny or egg hunts and you know are, are these sorts of aspects of Easter? Or is this just um, condoning paganism or pagan practices and stuff like this? Uh, so Andrew, let's start with you. I guess we can hold all sorts of views that are somewhat contradictory uh, without a whole lot of trouble as, as humans, because uh, I certainly went to, uh, to church on Easter when I went to church, and, and I didn't go to church every <laughs> every Easter because, you know, there was that friends and family thing that, that sometimes, got, sometimes got in the way. You had travel plans or, or whatever, right? But, mm -hmm. but it wasn't only that, because uh, after church, we had Easter egg hunts in some of the churchyards, right? Yep. And, uh, and <laughs> Every time. <laughs> and, and, and the night before, we would sometimes get the youth group together, especially the, the littler kids, right? And we're, we're dying the Easter eggs. <laughs> we're, just, we're doing all of these sorts of, of pagan things in the fellowship hall of the church. Well, well, and, and so I guess we can hold contradictory views without a whole lot of trouble, but it did seem to me to be incongruous. It was one of those moments uh, where you just had to acknowledge that if you were a Christian doing these these somewhat pagan things, you, you had to accept that either you weren't as good a Christian as you should be, or, uh, you know, you were willing to, I don't know, you, you had to find some method of carving out separate spaces in your head for an Easter egg hunt in the churchyard versus uh, a sermon about Jesus's ascension on Easter. So it was a very strange thing for me. And looking back on it, it still feels very strange to me. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, Matt, what, what do you think? Whatever you're happy with is pretty much what I, I think. Uh, growing up as a Christian, the Easter bunny never really featured, but we did do egg hunts. We did do egg decorating the number of times that I've heard 
the egg and the three major components of an egg being likened with the the three main components of the the Christian Godhead, and you know, oh. therefore the, the egg. I've heard that uh, that illustration so many times. So Christianity has done a great job of uh, adopting the egg aspect. The the bunny is clearly a little bit too of a bizarre thing to be uh, sucked in. So the the bunny never really featured uh, much and to be honest <laughs> I it doesn't you feature much now either bunny, right? Pardon? You do accept the Cadbury bunny, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, Cad- the Cadbury yes. bunny. Come on, you've got another you know Cadbury bunny. Yeah, no, but <laughs> sorry, go we're, ahead. We're we're a bit snobbish in this household and we do dark chocolate. We don't do milk chocolate because oh. milk chocolate is, is inferior and tastes disgusting okay i'm ending this uh this rant right now <laughs> i'm with you I'm, i i am with you. I'm, I'm sick of this guy with a fake british accent <laughs> oh dear oh no which one has the fake british accent <laughs> is, it, is it matthew or dale with the fake british accent I just <laughs> yeah i know yeah don't forget uh, dale you're in an english colony over there so uh, you don't, oh, don't oh. You forget it I, I just add the Cheerio. Or aren't we all? I just, I just <laughs> my British isms or whatever. Ch- Cheerio, eh? <laughs> oh, no, that's, don't ever do that again, Dale. Okay. <laughs> we, we kicked the British yeah. off of this part of the continent 200 years ago, and we can do it again. Oh, no, <laughs> but we do appreciate the tea. Uh, so and so you should and so we work very hard getting that from our other colonies to get it to you you know and and, and had it not been for the for the british fighting wars all over the world at that time we'd we'd still be uh part of her majesty's royal empire so why don't we have yeah i think it was because i think we rejected you lot when you decided that our tea was only good enough to throw into your river oh, well. Well, no 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 you don't understand we were making tea uh, we were, <laughs> it was a literal tea parting and that was the only big enough vat of water that we had <laughs> I think you've taken offense completely out of out of turn here. <laughs> That's how I heard it anyway. I how don't did know. we get here? From the Cadbury bunny. The Cadbury bunny got us there. Sorry, folks. I have to take yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Um, yeah, so- I'm I'm quite happy to eat chocolate in the in the shape of a bunny. It's more fun when it's in the shape of an egg. Uh, but no, I'm I'm quite happy to eat. Uh, bunny-shaped chocolate. Okay. Was that the right answer? Uh, no, but okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the the Cadbury bunny is a bunny that lays chocolate eggs. So, <laughs> um, anyway. yes, that hasn't made it this this far. That that that's uh, that's an, an, an image I I'm struggling with. I'm sorry. You guys have you haven't lived over there? My goodness! No, <laughs> right. they they really are chocolate eggs, Matthew. They really are. <laughs> So, yeah, my me, dog puts chocolate sausages in the garden as well, and I'm not going to eat those. <laughs> oh, uh, so David, what, what yeah. <laughs> this question number three? Oh. Ouch! Uh, so <laughs> I was trying to solve it. I dare you to pull this back on track, David. I dare you. I mean, look, Matthew, two points to you for just throwing me completely off my game. <laughs> 
So this doesn't happen to me often. <laughs> um, so I think it goes back to my original answer of the silliness of this holiday. It's it's silly. It's hypocritical. And un, unlike Christmas, I mean, one would expect that you could say, well, you know, if you can celebrate uh, the Christmas stuff, you could celebrate the Easter stuff. But the Christmas stuff with Santa Claus and all that is still religious stuff. Saint Nicholas is a religious icon. And you're talking about giving toys to boys and girls and doing good and, you know, that sort of thing. So it it still kind of fits into the religious holiday. The bunny is a symbol of fertility. It's a pagan symbol of uh, sex and rutting. It's more appropriate for the goddess Diana than for Christians. And, uh, you know, the, the eggs and so forth. So this has nothing to do with Jesus or any Christian idea. But Christians still do it because they don't really care about the holiday. They don't really understand about the holiday. But for 24 hours, they get to pretend to be religious, spend some time with family and friends, have some fun with the kids, and, you know, pretend to be more virtuous than the rest of the world because they're celebrating this most important thing that they don't understand while they're eating chocolate eggs and celebrating sex bunnies. It's stupid. Isn't the name Easter itself from some kind of goddess as well that's... um, which which is uh, fertility related? Yeah, um, I'm I'm desperately trying to remember, but Ishtar, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, um, but yeah, my, so my take is sort of the same answer as um, as the Christmas episode with Santa Claus and that sort of thing. Like, I, personally, I, I'm inclined not to see the big deal. It's it's just a bunch of fun. You you don't need to take it too literally, as though you're celebrating a goddess of fertility or something with the easter bunny or you know you just however i as a christian i i don't think it would be appropriate to lie to your kids and and you know in the same way as telling them about that there's a literal santa claus or telling them that there's a literal easter bunny or that sort of thing that that can have negative repercussions because then they'll equate that to god when they find out oh actually it's a corporate delusion and everyone's been lying to me. So maybe God's the same as these mythical people. So because of that aspect, I wouldn't be comfortable in teaching that my kid that uh, the Easter bunny is real or that Santa Claus is real. So that's the only part that I think I don't see any association with paganism. I mean, that that can be clearly separated most people don't even know anything about the pagan roots anyways so um yeah that that would be my answer is yeah but the pagan roots are undeniable um and so it doesn't really matter whether people know about it it's kind of a cognitive dissonance that we're allowing uh, anyone who does know the history understands the pagan roots and you know to just kind of gloss over that and well let's just have fun anyway seems to be not a particularly good Christian approach to it. That said, I'd my like family to, celebrate Easter. We celebrated Easter along with everyone else. Yeah, I'd like to add to that because I thought it was a very good point. When I was a kid uh, celebrating Easter and even even up into college because I grew up in the Southeast where talking about pagan holidays uh, that were that Christians were celebrating wasn't wasn't done, right? This is a this is a Christian holiday this this Easter thing, but but it was obvious even to the kids that Easter eggs and, and magic bunnies didn't have anything to do 
with Christianity, right? And so, and so, even though I didn't know uh, the the history of Easter, and by and large, I, I still don't. It hasn't been one of the things that uh, really cranked my tractor in terms of um, you know trying to look into it. Right? Um, it is. It was clear even as a kid that. Mm-hmm. The symbols of Easter, eggs and bunnies and and that sort of thing, were completely at odds with the symbols of Christianity, like going to church and, and all that sort of thing. So, um, anyway, that's my, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, it's just my text sense. I was done. Okay. Um, Can I ask you a quick question on uh, vaguely on this, uh, Dale? Um, Easter, <clears throat> excuse me. The date of Easter moves around, and that, the reason why that moves around is because it's uh, tied to the, the Jewish festival of Passover. It, does that bother you at all? Would you be in favour of Easter moving to a set weekend every year, or are you quite happy with it moving around? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite good either way. It's it's fine for it to, to move around. I mean, there's a, there's a good Jewish background reason as to that, linked to the festivals and that sort of thing, the festival of Passover and you know all, all of the festivals I, th- I think you know christians should learn more about the festivals i saw a good combo between joyce and jim about the significance of the jewish festivals and how that relates to the the gospel message and jesus mission and that sort of thing right um like pentecost relating to that sort of thing but yeah i don't think we put it this way we, we don't need to be dogmatic if you want to put it on a stationary day i mean Okay, that's that's fine. But what can't get lost, and I should have probably said this, I, we can't lose track of the true message of Easter, which is the underlying religious message. If it's getting lost in Easter bunnies or what day you, you celebrate it on or a Easter egg hunts and stuff like that, then yeah, that's bad from a Christian perspective. The, the important thing is Jesus' sacrifice and that sort of thing. So that should be... That's the true meaning of Easter that people should be paying attention to for sure. Yeah, National Human Sacrifice Day. Are, yep. Is that the is that the next topic? Uh, the significance? Uh, so no, and now we're going to turn it to Andrew because he has an interesting qu- uh, question. Yeah, I'll, I'll, Andrew, I'll turn it over to you to ask, or do you not have it open? I. Uh, oh no, I've, I've well, I. You know it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's so much a. A question as just sort of a of a thought experiment. <clears throat> so, uh, Matthew, do you have do you have Acts one seven? I do. Open? Yes, okay. like me to read those so, now. Uh, well, just a just a a couple of seconds of preamble. So, one of my problems as a Christian, uh, when we talked about the death, burial, and resurrection, it was it was always funny to me that we didn't say the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, right? Because the, the ascension is just as much a key component to to that whole story as as the death burial and the resurrection but um, the ascension is is talked about only in a very few verses and uh, most of them come in Acts chapter one verses uh, seven through eleven and so I just want to talk through it and explain why I think trying to pin something like eternal salvation on a story like this uh, is paper mache thin to me. It, it's worse than that. It's tissue thin. So yeah, if you if you don't mind seven and eight, that'd be great. It's used tissue thin. Okay, so this is Acts chapter one, verses seven and eight in the uh, English Standard Version. He said to them, 
It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses, my witnesses, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So there's a lot going on right there if I, if I try to think about it deeply. So you're not supposed to know days and times, but you're going to get this, and, and let's just pretend for a moment, like getting some power from the Holy Spirit was real. I'm not going to give you any information about the source of this power. I'm just going to ask you to accept that whatever you get from it is good and, and right. And I don't know that that lines up particularly well with proving any particular Christian claim. So I might, for instance, be able to, I, let's, let's just say I had the ability to grant some superpower, like flight or whatever. If I granted that power, the ability to see the future or, or whatever ability I wanted to grant someone, I had the power to grant that. It doesn't say anything about why I want someone to use that power for any particular purpose, right? And so God is sort of blocking off you're not supposed to know days and times. There are all sorts of things that God keeps secret. And yet he's, you know, he supposedly hands off this power, right? And the power doesn't actually say, well, I can make sure that you do live forever. Because being able to confer the ability to fly doesn't necessarily mean that I can cause someone to live forever, right? We can put people on the moon, but we haven't cured cancer. So I don't know that giving someone any particular power, the power to heal, means that the person that can confer that power can do any of the other tricks that Christianity might claim, like the ability to live forever, like the ability to transport someone to heaven, like the ability to be the God that can judge right from wrong, to know everything. So I, I don't care that there's this idea that God's going to give someone power, and because they were given power, they're, they're going to go off into you know, all the corners of the, of the world. And, uh, and, and be witnesses. Witnesses to what? They are certainly not the witnesses to the central claims of Christianity because those things are hidden until after death. Okay, that's seven and eight. Uh, let's, let's try nine. Verse nine. And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Oh, right. So we've got Jesus rising up into the clouds and the next two verses say something about why I think this is troubling. So read 10 and 11, and then I'll talk about all three of them together. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we've got these two guys. We, we've got Jesus supposedly rising up in the air. He hides behind a cloud. We have no idea why that would be the case. Why, why does Jesus need to rise up into the clouds to go to heaven? Heaven surely wasn't hidden further up in the atmosphere. And this just seems to be a, an old, uh, you know, it's an old folktale. It's an old folktale from when people didn't understand the world that we live in particularly well. But no one ever, no one ever questions these two guys standing by who say, oh, hey, you know what? That dude just flew up in the air. Don't stand there looking at him because he's coming back the same way. So get on about your business. Why, why would I have taken their word for it? These are, these are two, and we don't have, surely that was not the whole conversation 
if I just saw someone fly up in the air and there's somebody standing by me who says, hey, he's coming back the same way. Surely one of the things I'd say was, how do you know? Why should I take your word for it? Let's talk about it. And is this really the evidence that Jesus wants us to have? That, you know, is, is this the best way to teach us about what God wants us to know in the future, to have this guy fly up in the air and to have two guys say, hey, he's coming back the same way? There's nothing about this story that says to me that it is credible. It is not historically verifiable. It is a loosely coupled set of miracle claims that, as far as I can tell, should have been questioned much more thoroughly by any people standing by watching it with enough common sense to question the world around them. We certainly question it now, and we should question it now. The story has huge holes in it, and because it does, until those things can be answered, we have reason to be skeptical of it. Okay, I'm done. Okay, so, yeah, uh, David, how would you go about answering that? Or, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, or, yeah, what are your thoughts on it, then, if you agree? Uh, well, it yeah, it's almost reads like allegory. It's a little bit like when the Bible says, you know, heaven is streets made of gold, land flowing with milk and honey. This sounds like, you know, the fantasy of a poor person in that part of the country in time who had no hope of any good life beyond subsistence dirt farming. This this might this might be the sort of thing they fantasized about. Especially in a repressive regime like the Roman Empire. Right. And then, you know, people going up and down into heaven, you know, on chariots or, you know, just floating in, in the general direction of heaven, which was always considered to be above. It's in that same vein. Jesus Today, if we're writing that story, we don't write the story with Jesus floating up into the clouds. And in fact, he was taken up on a cloud like a magic carpet, which is something very familiar to that region. We wouldn't tell a story like that, though, because, you know, it unless Jesus reached light speed, we should still see him in the solar system today. He couldn't have gotten that far. <laughs> um, if, if we could even alive. find him, right? I mean, he's, he's <laughs> this little bitty character. I mean, you know, clouds 10, 20,000 feet off the ground. You don't even see him disappear behind a cloud. He vanishes into the distance long before he gets to any cloud. And, a, and the, the, angels, the angels in the Bible just popped in and out. They, they didn't need any silly, oh, we're going to ride in a cloud kind of thing. So there were clearly ways of getting in and out of heaven without this particular stagecraft here and this uh, you know, storytelling plot. And so it kind of reads almost allegorical to me and not to be taken seriously. And it's a part of the silliness that I complain about, that Christians, they put their brains to sleep. They're not even reading this like good literature anymore, and they they fail to see and address the plot holes in the story that sit there. So yeah, I'm, uh, like Andrew, it's it's very hard for me to take Christian claims seriously when when this is what they give us as evidence. The two guys that that say, "Hey, men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking, you know, at that at that Jesus character just up in the air?" They apparently, you know, you mentioned 
angels popping in and out. These guys apparently just pop into the story exactly like that. And, and, and I've got to say, if I saw someone fly up into the clouds, but I saw someone else just up here in front of me, which is, which is the cooler trick, right? Because matter transport instantaneously is a lot cooler trick than flying. I'm just well, saying. I would wonder why Jesus is taking the long way. Right. Uh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. And uh, Matt, what what do you make of the Ascension narrative? Yeah, it, it does read a little bit like some uh, an, an early version of some kind of uh, uh, self help novel. You know, um, it's um, awesome. it's. It, I'm just wondering if some, someone's writing uh, a novel where somebody goes on a, a, a quest, the the beginning of the novel where the person gets their quest and goes on, they have a chat with some what, the village elder or some wise person, or if it's Star Wars, it's Yoda. And this the wise person says something to them which doesn't make a lot of sense but it sounds wise because it's coming from the wise person. Then the person goes along on their, their quest where they find themselves and they find meaning in their life, and suddenly they get what the, the, the peculiar phrase that the wise person said to them. This is how this, this passage uh, comes to me. You know, the last words of Jesus aren't great earthly wisdom, aren't something that they're going to, to know. It's, it's a riddle. It's... And it, it's it just feels like uh, a fictional narrative in, in the way that I, I'm reading it. And yeah, for somebody who who bought this uh, for year years growing up, and then for for years an adult, and I come back and I look at it and I read it and I go, why did I ever read this? And go, yep, that's exactly what happened. Yep, that's exactly that was what was said. And when I go back and I question, I go. Yeah, this deserves to be questioned. This this needs to be questioned. Yeah, if we ever look in history, you know, these are the last words of Jesus allegedly. We look at if we go through history, and we look at the last words of people. Often, the last words that record of people are are subject to um, what's the word I'm looking for? Are unverifiable. Let, let's take Caesar. People love uh, associating, uh, uh, comparing Jesus with Caesar. What were Caesar's last words? Man, I could use a salad. We we don't know. You know, if you go and actually do some, I just went over Matt then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if we go and look great. it up, people can't agree what Jesus, what Caesar's last words were. Most people would say in answer to that question that his last words were "Etu Brutus." That comes from Shakespeare. <laughs> you know, that doesn't come from the historical documents uh, from around about the time. Yeah, so. This is that sort of thing. It's something that was written down. We don't know when. We cannot be certain that that this has got any accuracy whatsoever. And I'm so glad I it's, no longer it's a believe. Bit like his last words on the cross, right? I mean, these are nice pithy sayings. It, isn't it interesting though that no two authors have the same sayings? <laughs> they all they all have different made up sayings of Jesus, and so what. Uh, what Christians have done is smash those all together and say, you see, no, he had seven sayings. <laughs> they were, they were, because apparently he was very chatty up, up there while, you know, his tendons were being ripped from his wrists. Ankles. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, his last words weren't, Ow! no, 
don't know. He was very, he was very chatty, very wise. This is the stuff of fiction. <laughs> so his his last words going up in the air, you know, amount to, uh, "Don't worry, guys. Checks in the mail. I'll, I'll be back eventually. It's Hang in there." His last words aren't even, they're not even that good. His last words are, I'm going to give you this power, but I'm not going to tell you anything about its source. I'm not going to tell you anything about its continuation. I'm not going to tell you anything about its reproducibility. I'm not going to tell you anything about its scope. I'm just going to say, when you get it, you'll know it. And because you're going to get this thing, and then we don't ask any questions, you know, go off and witness. Uh, I, none of us buy that. None of us take gifts from a stranger and we don't question. I don't, I don't care whether you think God's a personal God or not. We don't have any information about the central claims of Christianity in regard to the, you know, in connection to these powers, right? None of these powers actually tell us anything about the central claims of Christianity and about whether they can be true. Okay. Um, so, yeah, there's been quite a lot. So I'll, I'll just try to remember to respond, to respond to some of the main points. So, number one, I, I think Andrew's absolutely right that the Ascension is an, a forgotten part of Easter, and it should not be. The I think that the resurrection and the ascension go hand in hand because the and this this is why i don't think other gospel writers or or other new testament writers really mention it because for them it's just resurrection he was also he also ascended it, it they're compressed together whereas luke seems mm. to be the only one that actually makes explicit mention of each separate event so why is this what what is the meaning of the ascension well it's obviously jesus is being exalted to the right hand of god this this is the messianic enthronement now jesus is been given the reins to the to the world to the universe he you know he's in charge until the last days type thing so that this is what luke's trying to portray and that go for other christians or, or within the early church that went hand in hand with the resurrection that's why you get verses he was he conquered death at the resurrection and that sort of thing so i think that's what's going on there at a literary level now matt made a point about one of the interpretations who's laughing david uh is anybody laughing oh why why do i hear me on the inside these skype things i don't um okay so so it's the gremlins on the line that's what it is okay I but, promise yeah. I wasn't rushing. I was. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, I hear things every time. But so so Matt brings up an interesting point. So one of the ways to interpret this uh, event is, oh, it's it's an ascension or ascensio narrative, like Hercules. He goes on a quest and then he ascends up to heaven. And quite obviously, there there is some parallel there. There is some truth. That's what is being said here. But there are differences. Scholars like David Owen have point out that there are various differences so with for example with jesus there's no change to jesus status from going from a demigod to a full god whereas luke there's no change in status it's only a change of his location and the change of his mode of presence so what do i think is going on what one of the objections that i think andrew raised as well is okay this this just doesn't make any sense 
as to what could be happening. And I think there are certain lit literary elements that aren't literal, even though I believe in the historical truth of the of the ascension in general. I, I don't believe every particular aspect is true. I don't, you know, like Jesus floating up on a cloud, for example. I, I don't take that literally. But I think it's 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 using the language of the time to explain what happened, where Jesus left this mode of reality and, and entered heaven to, to be exalted on the right hand of God. So you know what and that's expressed you know going up well heaven's up there the ancient cosmology so luke expresses it in terms that the audience would understand as to what it could literally be well it could be that it's it's he i don't know where heaven is it's maybe it's in another dimension so jesus went to another dimension and you know it could be wait, stuff wait that they I, i'm sorry i've got to get ask for clarification did did Luke's source see Jesus go up into the clouds or not? Possibly. Maybe. I well, mean, because it, you it, said it that it's that not you... literal. And if it's not literal, then I'm not entirely sure how you figure anything happened. You said that's, the, you know, they just put it in the language that they understood. But something okay. had to literally happen, and this story is narrating that. Right. So, so put it this way it could be that Jesus did float upwards towards heaven, putting putting that literally. That's where they got the thing. But obviously, you know, the parts about him floating up all into the sky, maybe he just vanished at a certain point. And they just said, okay, he floated up behind the clouds or something like that. It could be that he didn't float up at all. You know, one of the my favorite shows was A.D., The Bible Continues. They just picture, okay, this heaven opens up in like a new dimensional realm with clouds and stuff like that and seeing the angels and jesus just walks up a mountain and into that you know and they could have interpreted that as oh okay let's talk about it as it in the context of an ascension narrative he floated up into heaven and stuff like that so i i think that yeah there's a literal historical truth to the ascension in the sense that jesus vacated this realm of reality and went to heaven Okay, but if we're going to be metaphorical about it, we can just say, well, Jesus died, and because they felt the presence of Jesus in their heart, that he was resurrected within them, and he lifted them to a new height, and so in that way, he ascended into heaven. I mean, if we're going to turn this into that kind of thing, I don't see why we should believe that anything literally happened at all. Mm, well, that would be wrong, because first of all, the literal death and resurrection does need to be literal in order to work otherwise it just doesn't work on a metaphorical level so does the ascension that's this is the this is the point that i'm trying to make but i mean if, it's literal in the sense that he did ascend to heaven right that's yeah, that's literal. i want to ask you a question there because this is this is sort of where i found the exit and i think so for david too though i'm not speaking for you Dave. you're talking about literal truth and metaphorical truth and i don't have a problem with those concepts um we we teach our kids with both literal tools and, and metaphoric tools. I don't have a problem with those ideas. Mm -hmm. But I think there is a problem when you try to take these stories and finally divide them and say, I know that this thing that I think is the literal truth is, the, is actually the literal truth. And, and so I can always rightly divide the literal truth and the metaphorical truth. So how do you, Dale, know 
that Jesus is in heaven and that that is not just a metaphorical idea. Uh, and why, why is it that the ascension might be metaphorical, right? But he's actually definitely in heaven. You see what I mean? There's a throne in heaven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, and I'm not criticizing you. This is this was a real problem for me. It's it's because we know that that is an essential aspect uh, that's necessary. That's that is part of the essential gist of this narrative, and we get that from other locations in Scripture. There are different forms sure. and types of literature that all speak to this being necessary and it, it's actually but how do yeah. you know any of it happened I, I absolutely agree that jesus's presence in heaven is essential to the christian story we i, I agree there 100 yeah. how do you know he is yeah because the the bible tells me that he is enthroned but if if you're uh, it's, if a, you're it's at, circular reasoning there though and you know what i know you do no, no, I'm, I, that's, he's got, he is, he sits enthroned on, in heaven. That's undeniable. But if, if think what you're getting at is how do I know it happened in any way like what Luke records in Acts chapter one? Is, is that what you mean? Or you're no, denying that no, G Jesus I, is just walking around on the street right now to this day for no, 2,000 years. He's, that's no, what you, no, whoever, whoever Jesus of Nazareth was, if he ever was, a real person that we can separate from legend. If he ever was a real person, he's dead. You're not walking around and he didn't ascend into heaven and he didn't. Look, the, the, the problem with every Christian claim is what you tell me the Bible said it. Okay, fine. But you're saying that the Bible has literal truths and it has allegorical truths. And, and you expect me to just take because it was written in this book that Jesus really did ascend into heaven. I'm asking how you prove that claim. I don't care that it was written in the book, and I don't give a damn that it was essential to the story. Sorry, this is not directed at you. This is a frustration about this kind of idea. So uh, sorry if the cursing was a little fancy. I don't care that it's written there, and I don't care that it's an essential part of the story. Magic wands are essential to the Harry Potter universe but we don't have them. How do you know that there is a heaven that a Jesus is in? Okay, so so that yeah, that's an entirely different question. I was answering on a literary level what, what the okay, authors are about sure. themselves. So, so on that same literary level, if so I'm and I won't push back on your answer. I just want to make sure I understand your answer. When Stephen was crucified crucified, stoned to death, sorry. And he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And, you know, this is, did he literally see that? Yes, as a vision. Well, I mean, but was that, was he actually looking at the literal Jesus in the literal heaven at the literal right hand of God? Yes. yes. So, so okay. how I know that, I would follow a skeptical atheist, a biblical scholar, Dale Martin at Yale University. The speech and, and the narrative is counter. So there's is counter to Luke's emphasis and that sort of thing, where he Luke wants to adopt a pro-temple or pro-Jewish type of view where they can be they're reconcilable. And Stephen's out here giving a speech that's very anti-temple. Um, so this is 
one historical criteria or indication that actually there is historical truth to that narrative if I'm trying to prove on a strictly historical level that that probably happened in terms of I'm, I'm not pushing back on any of that just so you know so you don't you don't actually have to justify it I just wanted to know if you thought that was literal or allegorical and if you think that's literal it seems that there shouldn't be any problem with thinking that the actual resurrection was literal too. So I'm not, I'm not sure why you would change horses and say, well, that might be allegorical or figurative. I, I don't know why it would need to be. So, yeah. And I don't have, I don't want to say, I would never say it's obvious. I know Matt, we had our chat today and I, it's not obvious. There, there are different interpretations that biblical scholars can give and they vary on which details in particular. I, I do believe the essential gist is historical in terms of Jesus actually ascending. How would I go about proving historically that Luke's particular account of it actually happened? I don't. I know some people have written about it and that sort of thing, like Craig Keener. I'm looking at his commentary right now, or David Oon and, and that sort of thing. But apart, I could argue from general reliability of Luke, who I do think is historically generally reliable. And or also you can look at the different types of literature and the similarities and parallels to, you know, that's why I think that there is an element of accommodating the literary devices of the time, like Jesus floating up on a cloud and that sort of thing. This this seems to be something that biblical scholars mention as indicating it, it might not all be literal. He's adopting some of the literary customs of his time. To some extent um so these are ways that i would or factors that i would use to consider what aspects are actually historical versus what aren't as well as looking at scripture as a whole as as to what has to be essential what's the essential gist that or message that luke is getting at but as to you know for example the the two people coming out and and giving the question i've I have no idea. I wouldn't be able to prove historically or come up with an argument that that particular detail is, is what happened, apart from saying, well, Luke's generally reliable, so we should give him the benefit of the doubt or something like that. So let me say, I'm, I'm not going to push back on any of that. I'm going to try to wrap this up so that you can get to the next question. Uh, I was not a good teammate. I didn't send this to you ahead of time. So thank you for trying to give an answer to something that hit you relatively right out of the blue because you didn't get my part of this until right before we went uh, to Mike today. So thank you for taking it seriously and uh, and for trying to do as, as good a job as could be done. I think you did do as good a job as could be done with it. It might be that in some of this discussion, you will uh, start to understand why I'm a skeptic about it, even, even if you're not, right? you may get some sense of why I'm skeptical about the story and why I think David and Matthew are, but I'm sorry I didn't get it to you earlier so that you could have more sources at your fingertips because I know you prefer that. So uh, I was not a good teammate in that regard, and thanks for uh, working with the question. No worries. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was a good, I think it's a good question because it's often neglected around Easter, right? The, the ascension is an important aspect or, or fact to discuss. So I was happy that you, you brought it up and mixed it up a bit. So yeah, thank you very much. Okay, question number five. Okay, so in one of our previous roundtables, we already sort of discussed the resurrection evidentially in terms of the 
you know, do we, do we accept the historical facts and also explaining the historical facts, like the resurrection hypothesis versus hallucinations and that sort of thing. So I don't want to retread over that same ground, but I wanted to say in the first place, let's, let's just pretend you guys are convinced by the resurrection. Yeah, what, what's... Okay, I'm going to skip that because I think I we did ask that. I was never that good of an actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am. I'm on stage twice a year. I'm a very good actor. I could pull that off. Okay. <laughs> um, what is the significance or message, do you think, behind the passion, resurrection, and ascension uh, narratives? I, I kind of answered the ascension part. But, yeah, the, the central Easter christian narratives what what do you think is the central significance or message that christians are trying to say with these doctrines in terms of god's relationships with human beings and, and create to creation or that sort of thing can, can i go can i go can i go? david david it's uh, your turn to go first i think <laughs> isn't it <laughs> david, go ahead david i know you're i'll let you off the leash there okay no no it's, it's real quick real quick i think that it is one of the worst messages, one of the worst religious messages of all time. It's one of the reasons I dislike Easter uh, more than any other holiday. I uh, quipped earlier, it's National Human Sacrifice Day. And this really is the message. It is the message that if Jesus doesn't die for your wretched, sinful self, you're going to burn in hell, you son of a thing. And the sacrifice, you you are so bad, you are such a bad human, that we that God had to find the most pure, the most innocent of all creatures to take your place, because that's how bad you were. And so, yeah, at, at the end of the day, I think the message that gets lost, but is ultimately there, is that this is a human sacrifice and this is what we're celebrating as a good thing, and it is actually a bad thing, and I wish we would put more of a spotlight on it. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, Matt, yeah, we haven't heard from you in a while. What, what do you think of this question? I'd rather, I'd rather you answer me the other one. Um, no, I, oh. I, know, I know the... No, no it's fine. It's fine. Um, I know the message that Christianity is, is trying to give because I... I lived it for years, you know, and it's trying to give the message of the ultimate sacrifice of love, God wanting to redeem the relationship to his, his creation. I understand that. Unfortunately, there isn't a nice way to say this. I, I just don't buy it. When I look at the um, the, the Christian narrative and, this, and especially the culmination up at Easter, to me, in my mind, it is it, the... It is the deepest depths of an abusive relationship that is is what i see god is the the abusive husband who's beaten his wife he's broken his arm while he's beaten beaten her and he said now look what you've made me do you've made me break my arm now you had better get on your knees and promise to love me or i'm going to cut your throat it's it, it's that and that is how I interpret the the, the crucifixion uh, story when when I when I read it. I, I can't get past that God as, as an abusive husband. 
image how I, that is how I read it so I, I can't see this message this story and and see a, a, a god that I want to have anything to do with okay um, yeah um, very good Tara will be thrilled with the abusive um, husband <laughs> I didn't say that for Tara's benefit I promise okay. you <laughs> Okay. Um, okay. So, so Andrew, um, what what do you what does the what is the significance of the Passion and Resurrection for you in that regards? Uh, I'll uh, I'll be equally brief. Whether it means anything or not, in the real world, every movement needs a martyr, and every movement needs a hero. And one of the one of the things that Christianity is best at is trying to impress on its devotees to follow a particular ethical pattern because somebody died for that pattern. And you know what? It really doesn't matter whether you think Jesus was resurrected or he ascended. It doesn't actually matter. When we start trying to impress on people that there's a reason to follow an ethical code, death is good enough. And we know because we have these kinds of sayings in history that don't require resurrection. Uh, the tree of liberty must be replenished from time to time with the blood of patriots, meaning that people died for our way of life. And so what the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension story of Jesus is, is an allegory intended to demonstrate to people that Christianity had a central martyr that was willing to die for this really good cause. and it doesn't have to be more than that. Every story, every good story, every good movement has a martyr that died. And that's how we get people to buy in. And that's what it means to me. Okay, fair enough. So yeah, I, me, me and David have, have discussed the atonement on a few occasions on SNS. So I, yeah, I, was, I was just sort of interested in getting your guys' take on that. Yeah, obviously I take a traditional Christian standpoint on this I, um but but are I, you at all moved by our position on it i mean do you have any empathy toward the person who sees it the way we do um i i would say i have understanding towards yours and matt's view uh i do somewhat empathize with andrews he he was sort of advancing for a moral influence theory of the atonement which some some I would say they're not true Christians, but some people professing Christians do take that stance. Uh, and they, they I'm not a true, true, true Christian either. <laughs> okay. Not, not as an insult, but I... Uh, just, just a little levity, sorry. Yeah, so... I, I, a little levity, levity's the whole lump. Oh, God. That's true. very well played, actually. That was so, remarkably well played. Yeah, I do see, I mean, you, you guys, if you've heard the show, they're probably familiar. I, I think that the passion and the resurrection are necessary because the, the resurrection and or ascension uh, signifies the conquering of the consequences of sin, right? The, the death and sin has been defeated. Satan's been destroyed and defeated by Jesus. Uh, and, you know, he's paid for our sins and now we have victory in christ once we place our faith and repent so the the death part i mean blood and death is never morally ideal so so in that sense of course i empathize with you um but it's it's a necessary consequence of of being infected with with sin um so jesus has to pay 
that penalty um, or pay for those sins so that we can receive victory in Christ, victory over death and, and the consequences of sin and that sort of thing. But I, I'm not infected. Um, I, and I don't want this story of, I don't want this national holiday that celeb- that somehow affirms the idea that I'm infected with something. That's part of what's wrong with this. The government shouldn't be saying I'm infected with sin. It, it shouldn't recognize that idea at all. I'm not infected. And I, I, as an individual, am offended by the idea that, you know, there is a sacrifice of a human being on my behalf. I, I reject human sacrifice. I reject animal sacrifice. I reject any benefit that might accrue from uh, accepting someone's uh, human sacrifice on my behalf. I, I didn't ask for that. I don't want that. I want my hands clean of it. And I, I don't want to be associated with that story. But that's okay. So, but that, but that's not true, though. And I, I've gone over. Andrew alluded to it as well. The blood of the patriots. I'm sure you're cool with that. We got rid of the the Brits, you know, in, in the Revolutionary War. I'm, I'm sure hold you on, like those on. sacrifices. You um, didn't do that good a job, hold, though, hold did you? Hold, hold on. <laughs> We're still here. <laughs> um, let me let me address that because I am not. Uh, I did I did make a joke about the early tension between the United Kingdom and the United States winning its freedom. I am not convinced that the world is better off with the United States as a free state versus being part of the United Kingdom. I'm not making that claim because I have no idea. And I am further not okay with the idea that the only way for us to have our liberty is by killing good men and women who are willing to have us fight to keep it. I don't like that as an idea. I don't know that it's necessarily true. It may very well be that we will evolve socially at some point so that that is not required. And while I accept those sacrifices and I am a beneficiary of them, to say that I am okay with the system that requires it is absolutely false. And in the same way, I am not okay with the idea of a substitutionary atonement in the Christian worldview. But it's morally, the loss of life, given certain circumstances, such as the ones that we're in now, uh, we we haven't evolved to the point where it's not necessary. You can accept the law, you can accept, you don't think it's okay, you don't approve, but you can accept that sometimes it's necessary to sacrifice a life to achieve certain ends. If but I don't fire... know when it is necessary. Yes, you're absolutely right. Okay. Uh, and sorry, I short-circuited you there. I shouldn't have. I do, I do accept that those things have happened in the past. I don't know which ones were necessary because we only get to live one timeline. And I don't know that some other confluence of events might not have brought about a better history. And I actually said that when I said, I don't know that we're better off uh, the United States being a a free and independent government versus being part of the United Kingdom. I think I said European Union a second ago. If I did, I misspoke. I'm sorry. I can't let uh, you get away with this conflation of a war for independence and human sacrifice, a bloody human (laughs) sacrifice for religious reasons. 
This is not the same thing. You cannot complete those things as if they were the same thing. I do not want any part of your cult sacrifice. I don't care whether it was uh, a lamb or a goat or especially a person. I, I don't want any part of that. No one asked me if I wanted that. And if they had, I would have said no. Uh, so this is this is not my story. I will not be a part of that story. I will not be a part of the government making me a part of that story. This is madness. I agree. The comparison doesn't work for me either. Okay, so it does work. First of all, people in wars die bloodily. They make a sacrifice of their lives and sometimes die with blood. It's an exact comparison, actually. It's just a different... Jesus was not at war except with some invisible enemies. And he, you say it was on my behalf, but it is not on my behalf. I don't want it. I am very happy for the, uh, Ameri- the, the U.S. military to die on my behalf when there is an enemy threatening uh, my way of life. That is not Jesus. That is not a comparison. Um, and I, I, I won't have that. And I won't have that comparison with people in my own family who have actually died in wars actual wars for yes, real so. things this yeah. is you this is a religious ritual over an imaginary crime that requires animal sacrifice and human sacrifice it is not and never will be the same and it, you know you can't you can't possibly uh, be defending the idea even even in the real world that we live in when a tribe does a human sacrifice for you know the the good of their kinsmen that's always a bad thing it's always and every time a bad thing it is not like war and once again i won't be dragged into that story as, as if it were my national heritage, my national right to be dragged into the story as a sinner where God sacrificed this human to save me. That's not a story that I'm a part of. I reject it entirely. And you can't paint me with it. Yeah, I had nothing I, I to still do agree. with the blood. It's, it's not comparable to a war. It's not a battle. It, it's, an in, it's an invented crime and, in, and uh, punishment that is self-determined. It's... You can't compare that to two armies having a battle over a political uh, disagreement. So it's not invented, though. That's your assumption as as a skeptic, which may be justified, right? But if we're going based on Christians, the, the story and significance of salvation, and you guys are bringing up a morality issue. So I'm saying if it's true, then there's a possible way that it's not immoral. Because if it's a necessary thing, which I'm advancing, it is. It's necessary. Obviously, if it wasn't a necessary consequence, if death wasn't a necessary consequence of sin, then, of course, a a moral God would find a different way to do it without involving the sacrifice. But when a sacrifice is necessary, it becomes morally acceptable. If it's the only way to fix it, the situation to avoid worse things from coming about then that's morally acceptable not okay or whatever morally ideal but it's acceptable um let me, let me try one me, more uh, uh, um go ahead Dave. I'll, well, I'll I, I was just gonna i was just gonna try one more time to to see if i can't get dale to see 
to see this. And it's, it, it's okay if I can't. But think about the Holocaust for a moment. Now, we all, I think, get righteously offended when Holocaust deniers come along and say that didn't happen. That's, that's an atrocity in and of itself. I think that this is kind of like a reverse Holocaust in that now we've got people doing acts of violence for a thing that actually didn't happen. The imaginary crime of human sin, and now we've, we've got to make a human sacrifice for that. That's equally atrocious. And so, yes, I hear you saying, Dale, well, it's a story and you believe it. But it's a, it's a story that I do not believe, and I do not accept atrocities on the behalf of imaginary crimes that I did not need saving from. Sure, I, I would agree entirely. If, if that is the case, then you're right. I'm on your side. If, if there is no imagine, if it's an imaginary crime and someone's really dying for what they believe, you know, they've, for some crimes that they are imagining but have no validity, yeah, that would be a shame. I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. I'm, I'm perfectly... Well, that's, that's Easter. Yes, I, I realize. That's Easter. Here's my problem, Dave. But, go ahead, Andrew. Oh, thank you. My trouble is when we go to war, and I will just grant you, so let me do this up, up front. I'll grant you that these things look a lot alike in broad brushstrokes. Okay? So... I, I won't push back on any of that. But when I go to war or when I accept a war around me, I accept a war. Um, let, maybe it's over resources. Maybe it's over someone's freedom. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's over sex trafficking or, or drugs or, you know, whatever it is. Right. There are all kinds of human causes that we go to war for. My problem is I can accept the, the tree of liberty needing to be replenished from time to time with the blood of patriots. Because I know what liberty is. And I know what patriotism is. But the reason I wouldn't go to war for Christianity is because it feels like the guarantee that I'm going to war to have a magic transporter. Or I'm, I'm going to war to have ray guns or lightsabers. I, the, the, my point is... The things that Christianity is claiming to be offered can only be discovered after death. And I'm not willing to go to war for any ideas that are so notional that I can't have any experience of them here. And that is why it is different to me, because the central claims of Christianity have never been verified. And I don't care whether the Holy Spirit can cause someone to speak in tongues or make a man fly up into the clouds. None of that addresses the central claims of Christianity, which are God can rightly divide the good and the evil. God can live forever. He can grant my opportunity to live forever. I'm not going to war for any of that. Why? Because I understand liberty and patriotism. I'm not going to war for ray guns. So why wouldn't you? Is it is it because you don't believe that they would be true? Like you think these these ray guns are imagined, or is it no? You're, you're accepting. I don't know whether they're imagined or not. If you can, if you difference? can demonstrate to me, I'm sorry, I'm not upset with you. This again, this is the the oh, silly okay. ideas, okay? Right. So this is not 
some no, I, I didn't even notice. So, yeah, okay, fair enough. That's good. So, but, but would it make a difference? Before you answer, would it make a difference? So, if, if I could prove it was real versus imagined, would, would it then be worth it for you? I don't, I don't know because I don't know what we've proved, if you see what I mean. Okay. So, so yes, the, the answer is a qualified yes, which mostly just means maybe, right? So, 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 so the answer is a qualified yes, because what does it mean to live forever? If you can demonstrate to me that that is possible, then that is something to fight for. But suppose my living forever is in a heaven that I actually despise because the idea of singing amazing grace and Hosanna to his name for eternity, quite frankly, is nauseating to me. Well, so and I'm, you so wouldn't not... be fighting for everybody to live forever. You would, uh, there only a select few are going to live forever. And so even if you were fighting for the right to live forever, you're still condemning most of the world. It's, it would be an unworthy fight, yeah. an unworthy war, an unworthy sacrifice. Yes, that's it's, why it's, it's a qualified unworthy. yes for me. Yes. Okay. Okay, so that's good. Yeah, that's what I wanted to add. Because me and David did a show on that as well. So I already know David's opinion. But okay, so for you, salvation isn't worth it. It isn't a greater good in the first place. Even assuming it's ultra. I don't know if it I don't know if there's any such thing as salvation. No, no, but it, it, if there was, you know okay. that was you're even then you're saying it's still not like david for example would just say even if it was i i grant it to you it, it's just not worth it to me singing singing in heaven is boring or something like that I'm, and i'm getting the sense that you're saying the same thing i'll make well. it a lot clearer okay i i will make it a lot clearer recently you were on the smalley show defending the abraham test right and i know you've taken some flack over that You've taken some flack over some other things that we're going to talk about on some other shows. But you and I are friends, and I genuinely think you're a good guy. Thank you. Uh, not only do I genuinely think you're a good guy, I genuinely think you're a good guy. And so Me too, just saying that. And okay. so here's what I'm saying. You guys are so much nicer than David. He just yeah, You guys I, don't podcast I, with this guy every week, so... Just to put a bow on this... If you and I were standing in a judgment line and for some reason my acts let me into heaven and your acts didn't, I would spit in the face of that God and tell him to go sit and spin because I can't say the other things that I obviously want to say because we're trying to keep our family friendly rating. But I would consider it morally repugnant. And I would absolutely not accept a token gift of heaven in a situation where I am ethically certain that the people that might be in hell were people that I would rather spend eternity with than a notional God who's drawing the line. And unless the God can prove to me that he's made a good decision, and it has to be proved to me, I don't give, I don't give a rat's uh, hairy or paw. <laughs> I could just say patoot. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't, <laughs> See, that I don't actually sounds care. worse. Okay. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm trying to keep our family friendly rating as. as yeah, that's because he didn't say it in an English accent. It sounds. Yeah, I can't. Is patoot a bad I don't even know. Okay. All right. Go, my, okay. My good. So I, that you've got to demonstrate it to me, to my satisfaction. And if you think that puts me in the place of a god, no, it doesn't. It does not. All your because 
you're asking me to only make a decision on what I think is most likely. It doesn't, doesn't mean that I'm right or wrong, but you do have to be able to demonstrate it to my satisfaction. And until you can say that there's something like sin, something that I can be infected with or something that David can be infected with or something that Matthew or you can be infected you know, I can't prove that there's any such thing as sin. I certainly can't prove that there's some God out there that can grant me a salvation as a result of it. And if he granted me salvation and, and didn't one of you three, I wouldn't accept it anyway. I, you know, I made that exact same point uh, this week in the in uh, I want to say the Skeptics and Seekers forums. I'm sure that Dale will okay, call I the post. I I told listen. him absolutely that uh, I would not accept a heaven that I was in that Dale was not in. But I I think my uh, defense of Dale was even stronger because even if this God could prove that Dale deserved hell, I would demand this God. Fix him. No, nobody, no one should be left in that hell, and I would not accept a heaven uh, that Dale wasn't in. Fair enough. So, okay, good, loud and clear. I, I am interested in Matt's uh, same same question, though, Matt. Like, I don't, I don't care about the, the reason I ask it this way. Um, I, I don't, I'm not going to waste my time trying to prove the resurrect. It would make no sense for me to try and prove the resurrection is true to David if, even if I do all that work, and he's like, "Yep, uh, Jesus rose from the dead." But I don't care. So the prize of salvation isn't worth it. I'm just not even going to care uh, about that. So, like, uh, would you be the Matt? Like, pretend salvation is true. I, I've proven it. You're, you're good. Do, do you see that as a worthy goal, at least, or, or just no? Yeah, ju just no is the, is the easiest way to to shortcut cut that. Uh, the resurrection for me being true doesn't no I'll, I'll it, yeah it, the resurrection being tr true just results in what i said earlier that i think that the the god that made that necessary is is an abusive uh, partner i i can't get out of uh, out of that conclusion and i've i've tried to think it through and i i just don't see any way of me avoiding that conclusion i I don't think I just cannot see a way in it results in a God that I want to love. Okay. All right. Well, let, let me give this then because I, I, I liked David and Andrew and, and you guys are, you know, we're in a line waiting to get Pat be judged or whatever. And here's God. Um, you know, so you would, you would spit in God's face to anyone unless he lets you barge into heaven on your own terms. Um, Not what I said. And, and I, who, who said that? Well, <laughs> I, I did, Andrew. I, I, I am not. I'm not going to be cast in the light of acting as a villain when I have stood and said that this requires an act of good by demonstrating that God had the ability to do some right thing. I didn't say that I would barge into heaven. I'm not making some egotistical claim. What I am saying is that if you want me to believe something, you have to prove it to my satisfaction. And that doesn't naturally cast me in the light of a villain or suggest that I'm uh, trying to perform some barnstorming act. It is a completely reasonable statement 
for me to say that if you want me to believe something, you have to be able to demonstrate it to my satisfaction. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm the and one the making scenario, the egotistical claim. Just to be just to be clear about that. I just want to make sure that you. Yeah, I just want I, you to understand me, right? I just I just want us to understand each other because well, here, I'm not. Here's, here's why uh, why your answer doesn't make sense to me because the issue of proof is not an issue. You, you said we're we're standing in line. You've got God's right there. You're, you've got proof. He he exists. But you that's not proof that he has the right to judge or that he can judge rightly. Okay. Standing in a line doesn't mean that I have to accept the outcome. Right. Or that the outcome so, is good. Yeah. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Okay, so, so that's what I'm trying to get at is God not letting people that don't want to accept this cure into heaven is a good thing. He's creating a quarantine zone and it's... It's like me it saying, you know, standing in line and you're you're there and David's there and you're like, no, 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 I don't want to go into heaven. I want to go to new quote unquote New York or, and have margaritas in New York as, as David's called it, because that's how he sees hell or whatever. Um it's but, episode of SNS ever. A lot of people, yeah, they stick it to me over that. But, you know, but, but imagine like, no, I'm I'm dragging you guys into heaven. How unloving. How how unempathetic. Wait, 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 wait. Is that? Wait a minute. Wait. Hold on. Okay. There's a there's a a lot of assumptions that just went on there. So back in uh, back in World War II, when the Jews were going into the gas chambers, there were often lines that were split left and right, and some people went into the gas chamber and some didn't. Just because I'm standing in a line that has the the sign heaven at the turnstile doesn't mean that it's a heaven that I want to go into. And I don't particularly care what your version of heaven is. Okay. If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. Okay, sorry. That's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a country music song for, uh, for the one person in the audience that I actually knew what that was. Um, <laughs> you, you've, you have just made an assumption that nobody else is comfortable with on this side of the, on this side of the conversation. Okay. So you're saying you're going to drag me into heaven. I don't know if you're going to drag me into heaven or not, and neither do you. That's one of the things that remains to be demonstrated. That is a central claim of Christianity that has not been demonstrated. And even if you and I find ourselves in a line at some point in the future with a sign hanging over the turnstile that claims to be heaven, I don't know if it's a place I want to be or not. Right. That, that's the point I'm making. So it would be immoral for me if you if you say I, I don't want to go in heaven unless it's like Dixie and God's like, well, guess what? It's not like Dixie. Like, fine, I'm out of here. That's that's a good thing. God. Well, wait a minute. Okay. Wait. Why is God forcing his version of heaven on me a good thing? Because his version of heaven is actually moral perfection. It, it, you I don't know if it is or not. That's another central claim of Christianity that hasn't been demonstrated. Right. But are you, look, if you're going to say it's immoral for God to send people to hell and it, it would be immoral for me, the implication is I'm immoral because I'm willing to walk through and go to Dixie heaven without you. Like that's at least what David's claim okay, was. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm not I, making David's argument. I, I'll, okay. I'll let you guys hash that out. That's, a, that's a fair critique. Okay. That, so I, I get that. That's a fair critique. Um, I think I happen to think that David's got a good argument, but my 
problem is, and I always have said this for years now, that all of the things that you say about Christianity, and, and I'm not criticizing your scholarship. I think you're a good guy, and I think you're well-studied, and I'm not taking any of that away from you. Nothing you say to me demonstrates the central claim, because God's heaven is moral perfection. That's a claim. Yeah. It's got to yeah. be demonstrated. God's got to open the books of life and show me his, his secret recipe and at least, okay, so you get it. So I, I do, and and I'll say that I'll I'll back you guys up. I mean, a Muslim can say the same thing. You, I should be wanting to go to paradise, and if it if it's on the assumption that it hasn't been demonstrated to be true, yeah, it's just a it's an imaginary claim, and that's how I'm coming across to you guys. I I think I've done my research, and I I think I could demonstrate it. You guys have heard some of that, and I guess you, you find it wanting or whatever. There's nothing I can do about that. But yeah, the evidence persuades me that it's true. So yeah, it's you only have the obligation to be a real seeker, as I've said a million times. After that, it's up to God to provide what Andrew's asking for, the evidence that convinces him it's true, you know, through the use of the Holy Spirit or evidences and that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I agree with your point. If, if I'm just making claims without any demonstration which you know you guys buy then yeah of course you can dismiss it but then in in turn i would just ask you don't make claims about my morality based on you know when i'm making assumptions when i when i'm operating based on my beliefs and you're asking dale what would you do if we're in line and and you know you can't make any claims in turn kind of thing Right, it, but, it's, but part of yeah, part I of this bill, I think, I think we're only looking at a piece of the argument. I know that we're far afield, so whoever's editing this can just edit all this out. It, it's not me, so I don't really care. So, but yeah, you're looking at a part of the. I think the the, the way this came up is we're talking about the no tears in heaven aspect, and my thing is, if I find myself in heaven and my friend Dale isn't there, I'm. I'm going to be I'm going to be sad about that. I'm going to want to know where Dale is. I don't care what God said you did. That's not going to that's not going to be a no tears in heaven situation for me. I'm not going to say, "Oh, well, I guess that that bum deserved it. Uh, hand me another margarita." Uh, I'm I'm going to not enjoy a heaven where I think that you could have been, if especially knowing how badly you wanted to go. And so the other part of this equation is not just skeptics who are saying, ah, I don't want to go to heaven. It's, it's the Bible's own story, I want to say Matthew 7, uh, where, the, where the people are casting out demons and doing everything they can toward the benefit of the kingdom, and they are convinced they're going to heaven all the way up to the door, and they're, they're marching in, their head held high, they finish the race, and God says, oh no, you don't, depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Those people end up in hell. And I'll take a slightly better earth with the friends that I have over a heaven that's moral perfection without them. Yeah, I mean, that's just... So I'm on record. That's that is wrong in my estimation of what a good heaven is. Final point, getting kind of back on topic, this crucifixion thing, and you talk about heaven being this place where there's moral perfection. I already disagree with the, the claim that heaven can be moral perfection when it's paid for by human sacrifice. 
It's a freaking human sacrifice. I'm not going to the place where the, where the price was, got to have a human sacrifice. You can't sell that as moral perfection to me. Right. Well, I, I, I think I have, but I, I know that it's just not going to get go anywhere with you guys because you first of all you don't believe it's it's true and i'm just making a claim that it's necessary because this is a consequence of sin death both physical and spiritual is a necessary consequence it's a condition or symptom of that sin disease that we freely chose to have so if you if we're back in the line you have a choice to either take the cure or not take the cure if you don't take the cure, that that's great. If you don't want to take it, because the cure will entail you going to heaven where you don't want to be, because it's not like Dixie or it's not like New York City. And David's like, I want to go to New York and have all those margaritas. That's great. I'll, I'll be in heaven saying, okay, he, he's where he wants to be kind of thing, and I, I respect his decision. I'm, I'm not going to no, let him. I'm sorry. Please forgive me again. No problem. But, but that is that is so patently false that you know we're somehow where we want to be. I mean, now if you're if you're saying that we can stand in this line and we can reject God's heaven and David can end up uh, you know drinking margaritas in New York and uh, and I can end up in Dixie, which wouldn't actually be my version of. Heaven uh, left that country. Where, where Trump so would be president. Donald Trump would be president <laughs> I, 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 for all eternity. Oh, no. let's get your point. <laughs> oh, so, okay, here. because that's not. I'm. I don't. There shouldn't be a binary a binary choice here where I have that's to accept perfect. God's heaven or or David's margaritas or right. Matthew. What's your heaven? I don't <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know what my heaven is. <laughs> okay. Okay. No. Um, Okay. So um, I was going to get, I, I was actually leading into that, right? Because okay. yeah, it, there's, there's a, a binary choice or I actually believe in a trinary cho choice or whatever, whatever the word is for three, trinary, trinary, because I, I'm, I'm open to the fact that people can, could choose to be annihilated in hell. Um, I think that's possible. <laughs> I don't. I Why think would I want to be annihilated in hell? Why can't I just not <laughs> no, no. Wrote, written, well, risen it's, up it's again? Third, just leave me dead. It's a third option. So you could still go. Well, the three options aren't good enough. I should. I should be able to choose the option where I'm in a world filled with Cadbury bunny bunnies, uh, you know, going around for for all eternity. How about or, the option where I just stay dead? <laughs> just, just let me stay dead. <laughs> if I'm if I'm wrong about the afterlife. Just, I'm already dead. Just let me stay dead. How about the option where the evidence equals the claim? And I don't have to stand in line and get told where I spend eternity without the evidence backing me. Let's, that's correct. That's what we have. Making, no, we don't. And I've pointed this out. You said, you know, but you're standing in line. Heaven's moral perfection. I actually said, to, no, you don't know that it is. And I pointed out that it was an assumption. 
And I pointed out earlier in this show that the idea of God conferring some power on a bunch of peasants in, in the ancient Near East, first century Palestine, tells us nothing about the source of those powers or how long they will last. It tells us nothing about whether God can rightly divide the good and the evil. It tells us nothing about eternity. It tells us nothing about anything. Those are, those are ongoing claims. And if you can solve those problems for me, then we've got grounds for a different conversation. But the reason we're having this conversation is because those claims haven't been resolved. Okay, so that's interesting. So even in the context of being in this lineup, you're saying we have, we don't have evidence that heaven is is true or whatever. Or per well, morally all you per have evidence of is that heaven is... There is a lineup. Right, you have, you have evidence that uh, looks like there was something after life uh, after all. But now what, what kind of line are you in? Are you in the Muslim line? Is heaven a place where you sing Amazing Grace for you know, 10,000 years? Is, I is don't the only... know that there's such a thing as judgment. So, so, put, it, so put it this way then. When, when we're in that, in the context of us being in that line, you will have knowledge that the Christian God is true and that the Christian heaven is no, correct. No, I won't. Well, that's my claim. Okay, okay, okay. All right, let me give that yeah, a little I, more serious consideration. I, I accept that that is the claim. I, I get that. However, that is a, you said it yourself, that is a claim. The reason we are having this conversation, I will say it again, and the reason we're not having a different conversation is because that is a claim. The reason it is a claim is because it hasn't been demonstrated. If you can demonstrate it, we will have the other conversation. Okay, so I, yeah, I approach it differently. So number one, we've already asked the question about evidences in, in another round table, which we're not going to be able to deal with properly in this format, even if we started talking about it the whole time on here. Uh, in a two-hour conversation. Um, so yes, I acknowledge that, that the credential question is a key question, right? But I, I actually like to start the other round and approach preferred. I like to ask these significance questions first to see if there's even a point of spending time on the on the evidences. If if mm. if I can, if you say, yeah, I can accept all the evidences. Pretend I'm 100% convinced and have knowledge you're right but i still don't care then it, it saves time so I, i'm interested in this significances as a first priority believe it or not so it's the way i approach it is reverse kind of thing yeah, so, I, yeah. i'm actually i'm actually um on board with that uh way of thinking too because i can always end up a discussion asking so what so if there's no if there's no significance to it then it doesn't really matter what evidences you bring to the table well so i actually i actually am not interested in trying to ask a lot of significant questions for which there may be no confluence of events that could lead us to them and so i think i am only interested in attempting to follow a sequence of events that can lead us to real outcomes. If you start with some claimed outcome, 
but there is no sequence of events that can get us there. I'm just wasting my time. And frankly, I don't have enough time. Uh, so speaking of time, speaking of time, do we have, uh, we have one more? On... Okay. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, no, I actually like that, though, because we both are trying to be efficient. So it's, it's an interesting thing, our difference of approaches. It's uh, bottom down or top up, right? Uh, top, yeah. top down or bottom up. And I don't know which one's which in this case, but they are both ways of getting at uh, the heart of problems. And I'm not criticizing you for your approach at all. Yeah, and and I can and as Christians, just for the Christian, be flexible. Okay, so so I'll approach my conversations with David differently than maybe I would deal with Andrew because he he doesn't like to play the what if game. Okay, so just get with with a skeptic like Andrew, get straight into that evidence. Let's start discussing that evidence rather than going reverse way around, you know, be, be flexible. We can be flexible and approach it different ways to suit the individual we're having a conversation with. So yeah, I think that was a good, a good point. I'm but, an impatient um, reader too. So, <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so, so Matthew, poor old Matthew, I'm going to bring you back into this. With this <laughs> yeah. I've, yeah. I've got, um, I, I've got a thought. I won't take up the same amount of time that the that the chatty ones uh, uh, did before you move on. Um, so yeah, so we're in this line. I get to the front of the line, and I'm I'm shown heaven, and this God promises me it's going to be wonderful in there. The only reference reference point I have is this life, this earth, this existence that I'm familiar with now. And I look around, and it's very imperfect. It doesn't feel to me like a world created by a god let alone uh, a loving god i've already made my opinion felt felt on that so my position standing there is i don't know that i can trust you that what goes what is through that door is any better than than what's behind me i've got no reference point where i can accept that you are telling me the truth that if i walk through that door whatever it is i will love it and uh, it will be glorious so that is my conundrum standing there i can't believe the being in front of me because what i've experienced so far doesn't convince me that that being is a reliable being okay, so regardless so i regardless of what the alternatives are i can't see myself choosing that heaven because i've got I have not got a a framework which I trust. Okay, uh, that, and that's a fair point. I would agree with that. Uh, God needs to provide you a sufficient basis on which you can choose to have faith or trust in him or not. Um, so, yeah, trust has to be earned in that sense, and there are different ways that that trust can be earned. And, I, yeah, my, my claim to that would be you will have a sufficient basis to to trust God before you make that decision. Okay, so let, let's move on to the last question then. Uh, this one is from David. So David, I'll turn it over to David to ask the question. Okay. Yes. My question is, why did Jesus limit his resurrection appearances to a small group of friendly witnesses as opposed to large groups of skeptics, politicians, and whatever passed for scientists and reporters and people of influence. 
He didn't uh, have Facebook Live. <laughs> you Sorry. said you said it wasn't large groups. <clears throat> Five hundred. Right. Times. Yeah. That. Yeah, I. I. I'm. I'm down with that whole five hundred thing. But I. I noticed that came from from Paul, who wasn't there, and not from any of the quote unquote eyewitnesses. So it's easy to say, oh yeah, he appeared before five hundred people. But the people telling the story never dictate such an event, and I don't see any reason to give it a whole lot of credence, quite frankly. We also don't have any real understanding of whether Paul was in that instance talking about a visionary experience or an actual experience, because Paul had a visionary experience with Jesus, and he seemed to assume that everyone's experience was like that. Quick uh, clarification question, because I, I actually, going back to the significance things, I mean, who cares? Even if I could prove the 500, was actually true and you're like yeah that would that solve this question for you no because no because it would still have been 500 very obscure people that nobody knew so sometimes christians make the argument well you know paul said that someone were still alive once well that's pretty rhetorical because we never get an example of anyone saying yeah who were they what were their names where do they live let me go question them this is not something that ever happened and so it's still obscured in history so we don't know who these people were we don't know that they had any significance but there were plenty of people who would have had significance and jesus chose not to appear before them in other words he had a a, a very small group of close-knit disciples that he told his secret to and it seems to me that if his goal was to let people know the resurrection had begun, this would have been done in a much different, much more public way. Do we have an approximate date for when Paul wrote that letter, which contains the 500 reference? 53 AD or 54, something like that. Correct. Correct. So 50 years after these people would have seen the resurrected no, Jesus. 20. No, it's like 20 years or so. Yeah, about, about okay. 22 years. Yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry, my, my math is yeah. asked. So, and what was the life expectancy in those days? 40? 300. You to listen to the <laughs> Christians tell it. They lived forever yeah. with perfect recall of everything they'd ever heard. <laughs> so for them to have been still alive, they'd have had to be relatively young. Babies. Teenagers, maybe. Well, not. Yeah. You can't really take because the death rates have to do with high infancy death or mortality. And, and uh, you know, it's also tied to education and wealth. And we know that the people who hung around Jesus were not highly educated, not very wealthy. And so they would have been among the lowest lived people, not among the highest. They can't solve the problem for me anyway. Look, I, I don't care what they believed. They still haven't gotten to the central uh, claims of Christianity, that it's possible to live forever, that there's a good God behind the gears. Uh, you know, the, the, who cares whether just, they saw a guy? I don't care. Just, just addressing the question, I'm curious to what um, Dale would think of that particular question. Why didn't Jesus? It's a good one. Why didn't Jesus make his resurrection? a thing that would have been much more obvious and more believable to a bigger number of people, especially skeptics of that day. I mean, th we could, this could be a non-question today. 
had he appeared before the Sanhedrin court, if he had gone back to Rome and appeared before Pilate and they tried to arrest him, but they just couldn't because he was God, uh, and people would have written it down and they would have talked about it, and that would have been the end of it. If Jesus had gone to the historians of the day and said, look, write this down, I'm back, baby, we wouldn't be having this discussion today. But Jesus did his resurrection in a way that left us able to question it. Why, Dale? Faith, dude, faith. Well, no, I, I do have an answer, but um, yeah, I'm trying to avoid using it for David's purposes because he doesn't like it. But it's okay. Yeah. Don't worry about what I like. Sorry. Okay. Well, yeah. It's, yeah, none of the rest of us do, Dale. That's... <laughs> yeah. Well, no. For all I know, you guys, you guys should be sick of it too. I mean, it gets brought up all the time. But oh, the Bolinist yeah, defeater. My... Here we go. <laughs> Look, yeah, that's that's what answers it. I mean, even if Jesus did what David's saying, that still wouldn't be good enough for you guys. He, oh, why didn't he go to India? Why didn't he go to the Native Americans? Yes, I would have asked all that because he could have. So, quite frankly, he he could have done all of yes. So you're you're not you're not saying something that's out of out of out of bounds here. If there is room for someone to say, well, why didn't he do this? Then th that's a good question. Why didn't he do that if his goal is for everybody to know? His goal isn't for everybody to know. It's for everybody to be saved. And, you know, just by revealing yourself that, you know, he exists, by doing an instantaneous Skype message to everybody uh, 2,000 years ago, wouldn't have necessarily have achieved that goal in terms of saving as many souls as possible. I, I don't know how else to say it apart from getting into it. This is my answer to things like the hiddenness of God argument, which this is just a nuanced version or you know, a particular version of it. Um, but I have said what is good enough for me. And I have not heard a sufficient reason to think that what I want is unreasonable or that it is somehow not in the best interest of others around me. So, yes, it is true that what you've offered is not good enough for me, but I have been able to clearly describe. Well, I'm not, I'm not one of those people who says, I don't know what's good enough for me, but God, I'm not one of those people. I'm able to clearly articulate what is good enough for me. Let, let me give a, a plausible example, which, which kind of goes against what I'm saying. But like, okay, with this Molinistic answer, God did provide, God did what you guys are asking for me, right? He, he did accomplish this and provide sufficient warrant for me to become a Christian. Now, what's the result of that? So I, I've received criticism from Sarah and, and from some skeptics who might, be, who might say, look, your, your efforts as a Christian apologist seem to be having the opposite effect. You're driving people further away from God with all this stuff. So I, I could argue, well, maybe God could convince you to convert, but then what's the consequences? Maybe more souls get damned as, as a result because you, Andrew the preacher, sucks sucks like heck or something like that. Yeah, he did. We, that, that is so true. He didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I have to admit, look, I, if we're just basing... Basing it, so I, I do suck at communication. So um, now, 
hopefully my Molinistic answer, obviously God did convert me and there will be a greater good that comes about that fits into his plan in terms of saving as many souls as possible. Maybe I get better. Maybe five years from now, I become the best communicator there ever was and thousands of people saved because of me or something like that. But yeah, it, it provides the plausibility that in terms of why, why not you, Andrew, maybe you would convert and you would be so sucky as a preacher thousands or millions of people would deconvert and then that would cause you to get depressed and then you would deconvert. So, you know, you could, you could make up any number of these scenarios when we're talking about people's free will, making a free decision. Every, every bit, everything you've, all you've given is an answer to a made up problem. Yes. It's all made up. Every bit of it, this, this whole conversation about what if we were in a line together and it was a Muslim line versus a Christian line or a Buddhist line, or you know, what if the what if the sign over the turnstile said heaven and it really wasn't? Or, yeah, it's a thought experiment, right? Well, that's right. It's a, and that's why the five hundred doesn't convince David. And and it, it, this is all just one giant thought experiment until any of it can be proven. And why do I want to waste my life on this particular thought experiment when we can do things together to make each other's lives better here now and not speculate on this, this, <laughs> this eternal thought experiment? This should be a criticism for David, not for me. This is his thought experiment, right? He's okay, asking, David, consider yourself criticized. <laughs> I, I, I don't even think yep. that we're addressing the question that I asked, but that's okay. Oh, um, well, it's probably true. Yeah. Well, so, in a way, why, why would God you know. go to a small group of uh, friendly witnesses, for the most part, and who are not scholarly? Yeah, it's it's I the mean, same reason. Pil why Pilate didn't want to kill Jesus. At least the Pilate of the Bible didn't want to kill Jesus at all. How much would history have changed had Jesus showed up at Pilate's door and said, "Hey, good news." <laughs> you you remember that little crucifixion the other day? Don't worry about it. <laughs> By the way, have have some of your scribes write some stuff down for me. <laughs> there, but there's another. Th thought experiment that answers your questions. Pretend pretend Jesus did do that to Pontius Pilate and then no crucifixion. We all go to zero souls are saved because of that one little thing. Because because he did that, zero souls get saved. If it's true what I say that it's a necessary death is a necessary consequence of sin. If that sin is never paid for, the consequences of that are are not paid for, then yeah, we'll, we will, no one, 0% of people will ever be heaven fit. So that could be an answer. Why doesn't he reveal himself to Pontius Pilate? Because he needs to get crucified. Well, I mean, after the crucifixion, I mean, when you're, when he's choosing who he's going to appear before mm -hmm. to make the biggest splash, splash, and he, he could have showed up to Pilate. He could have showed up to the Sanhedrin. He could have showed up to all of those places where it would have made an impact. Uh, he, he could have ended the temple right there and ended Judaism as we knew it because they considered the cross an offense. And if he had showed up before the Jews who thought that and said, you know what you were th saying about the cross the other day? Here's a piece of it here. Let me tell you about this. And so once again, if what you're saying is, well, God has good reason to stay hidden, I have good reason to not care then. 
And I guess as a closing thought, if we get a chance to close, I would say this takes me back to an earlier place where I was saying separation of church and state. If you if you just look at the conversation that we've had over Easter and you look at your particular speeches that you've had over Easter, some of them very eloquent, you can clearly see why we don't want the government saying anything like that. And yet when they recognize Easter as a holiday, they're kind of saying that. This becomes a religious statement almost of the government. And I do not want my government saying the kinds of things and making the kinds of implications about me that you have made over the last few hours. This should not be a part of our civil dialogue. This should be a part of private worship, private observances, something between family and friends. There should be a clear line of demarcation between any of this nonsense and official government policy. So I'm done. And um, thanks, everybody, for listening. And I'll let everyone else have their closing say. I'll just agree with David and say um, we have this idea that Jesus appeared to um, to a few people. David asked a good question. I will tie it in with the thing I always say. If you want me to believe one of the central claims of Christianity, which is God has worked this universe out um, for its maximum possible good, and in God's, you know, the, the idea is that God's thoughts here are maximum number of souls in heaven, well, you can just reveal the other timelines to me and demonstrate that that's the case. Then we can have a very different conversation. I might, I still might not choose heaven because God might be completely right to send somebody to hell, and and it might be someone I care about deeply and still not want to go to heaven, even if God was right. So it doesn't even it doesn't even impinge on free will to reveal the other timelines and just show me that this was the the best plan. So David, I I'll give you credit for that question exactly as well. Why why reveal to only a few people. And and to be consistent, you, you would agree with me then that it works in reverse because I you can't demonstrate the time streams where uh, more souls are saved for God showing himself to these guys than you the skeptic doesn't have a right to uh, make wait, a wait, 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 wait. No, no, that's a that's a, a sort of a false way uh, to paint my view because I can't demonstrate that there's God. So We've, we've got to, what I'm saying is, we've got to get rid of all of the fog of war. You've recast what I said as, as if there can be an affirmative claim that there is a God. I, I am saying there is no room for that affirmative claim. Now, if you, can, if you can prove that there is a God, then we can have that conversation about time streams. But what I'm saying all the way down is, in order to make any of these affirmative claims, you've got to get to the heart of the claims. So even if you could show me multiple time streams, you still didn't get to the heart of God did it, right? So we, we've got to get all the way down on, on the back as, of each claim. I just see this as like missing the point. Um, David's the one making an affirmative claim here, or at least implying one with his question. He's what, what's, he's, what's that? Tell me. He's affirming that, look, okay, According to the Bible, the Bible teaches this. Uh, Jesus and God chose to limit their resurrection appearances to only groups, to small groups of friendlies, as opposed to skeptics, politicians, blah, blah, blah. And then he's saying this affirms that it's not true. God wouldn't do it that way. And I'm just saying, no, well, okay, fine. If you're going to affirm that, 
and show me all the time streams and how many souls get saved. That mm. if if I'm gonna if, if I'm gonna make an affirmation on my end, um, as opposed to a defense, that no, actually, the way God was correct in only showing up to his friends and not politicians, then you have the right to go. Okay, well, show me all the time streams and and demonstrate that's correct. So. It, if what you're, I agree with what you're saying, but no affirmations on either side are possible. Well, there we do. I'm sorry, David. Go so ahead. it's, it's question. well, yeah. So it's rushing toward four o'clock. I've got to run, so I'm going to let you guys debate that to your heart's content. Uh, I, I, no, I don't want to debate. I just want to hear: is is that fair enough? And, and I I will hear it on the on the stream when it comes out. But I've I've actually got to run, so oh, I'm uh, I'm up against a wall. So I just wanted to mention that I enjoyed it as always. And uh, when I sign off, it's not going to affect the feed. So um, you, you guys can continue. All right. Have a good one, sir. Lovely chatting as always. Yeah, same to you. Stay safe, Dave. And uh, stay away from those chocolate sausages. <laughs> sausages, <laughs> not sausages. So, so Dale, what I what I understood was, and and the way I generally understand David there is, is he's saying that this is a place where we should normally expect better evidence, and the lack of good evidence here is evidence in itself to draw a more likely than not conclusion that there's no God in the gears. Do do you miss do you uh, understand him differently than I do? We we probably um, may do. I don't know. Yeah, well, what's well, it's an affirmation. I think that it, it's an affirmation. It's a claim that that David's making. He's claiming we should expect better evidence or different evidence uh, than what we have. And in order to do that, in in light of my Molinistic defeater suggested as well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe more souls are saved as a result. So he's given us exactly the correct evidence. If David's going to maintain an affirmation that no, he should have showed up to politicians and the Sanhedrin and all of them, yeah, show, show me the time streams and dem demonstrate that that affirmation. Then, yeah, that's okay. That's no, that's fair. And I, so I see your point there. I didn't quite understand the question that way, but um, I don't know that I understood it better. I, I see why you think there was a, a necessary implied affirmative claim. If I had asked the question, I would, I would say that there's not an implied affirmative claim. Okay. I, I would just have said what I said, that there seems to be uh, not enough evidence here to say that this outcome that you're claiming is leading to the most souls in heaven. But like I said, I'm not, I'm not sure that I've got a better line on the question. And but that 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 warms the cockles of my heart like that. That's the point that I've always been trying to get get across because I always read whenever this topic is brought up. That's the way I'm responding. That's the way I hear it as an affirmation of the skeptic. So that's why I give the response that I do. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just glad to hear. Look, under the way you're interpreting it. Yeah, you're, you're correct. If he's going to make an affirmation then yeah, he's he's got to demonstrate it kind of thing. And, Otherwise, you can't make an affirmation either way. So yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with that. Matt, I'll, I'll let you have the, the last word. Yeah, my thought on this one is that, uh, yes, the second half, yes, it, this does play into the, to the hiddenness problem. And the way I see the question is, the question isn't necessarily stating that that would have resulted in more people. It's the, the, the question is, 
there is a way that would have resulted in more people and it would have more likely looked like this. So it's not a De definite affirmative but it's uh this is what an affirmative would look like but anyway that aside my problem with the with the whole of this is a god that revealed the resurrected jesus to only a few people meaning that only a proportion of the population believes is a god that doesn't love everybody else because if he truly loved those isn't it reasonable that he would have done enough for them to believe as well if God truly loves me and wants me to worship him and wants me to be in heaven, then why is he not doing enough to convince me? He hasn't done enough, so I've deconverted. If he truly loves me, why can't he, de why can't he do enough to convert me? And that's the same question for everybody who's not a believer uh, around the planet. Why hasn't he done enough that they too can believe and have the love and the salvation whatever it is that he wants to to offer them as a parent i cannot imagine any scenario where i would stop short of my daughter knowing that i love her so why can't god behave the same way and he doesn't so i can't uh, so that's my problem here and i think that's the problem that, that david is trying to trying to highlight Gotcha. Perfect. All right. Well, yeah, I think that was a that's a wrap. That was a good show. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed yourselves as well. I always yes. enjoy talking to you. Yeah. I've got one final thought to get end up try to get lighthearted just before we uh, pass on. Um, those verses from Acts, Andrew, that you had us all read out. Mm, seven through I've eleven, just yeah. I've just realised these are a very first draft, very very early draft of a modern movie script and the movie this bit is from the end of the movie where arnold schwarzenegger looks around and says i'll be back <laughs> it's, it's, brilliant brilliant i guess the yeah the bible wants to copy arnold schwarzenegger then right <laughs> <laughs> that's proved it sorry i've been biting my tongue for the last hour going i need to say this i need to say this it's awesome <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> you, you saved it for the perfect time. <laughs> that'll be all. That'll be all that's quoted and remembered from all of this. <laughs> Terrible. Well, as we put the, as we put the closing words on this, tell people how to get in touch with you guys over at Skeptics and Seekers. Just go to the website um, skepticsandseekers.wordpress.com. You can leave a comment or you can email us at. I think it's at skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. Uh, so, yeah, that's how you can reach us. And this will also drop in the Ask an Atheist Anything feed. You can reach us at reasonpress at gmail.com, or you can reach us at reasonpress.net. Dale, you're awesome as always, man. Oh, thank you. You thank too you as well. Thank you for doing this again, Dale. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, have a great day, everyone, and enjoy your week. Your Easter. Cheers, guys. Have a good Easter. Bye-bye.